0: Listening to Inclusive AF with Jackie Clayton and Katie Van Horn. Uh,
1: Happy New Year, Jackie Clayton. Happy New Year! Um, this is the Inclusive <laughs> AF podcast, and we are all about it in 2023. Uh, it's happening, people. Um, I have a new puppy in the house destroying everything, which is fabulous. Um and That's really all i've got what do you have going on there listen you need help for that
2: i don't know why you got another let's like i you know we should talk about that nothing i've got absolutely nothing which is perfect exactly where i want to be um in uh wonderful waco texas things have been great i'm ready i'm fired up for 2023 that is good to hear
1: i am uh I'm easing into it. (laughs) I'll leave it at that. Um, So, hey, uh, without further ado, we have an amazing guest to kick off 2023. Um, And we are very excited for this conversation just because it's something that is near and dear to both Jackie and and my hearts. Um, And it's something that I think is very critical as we talk about just, you know, thinking about uh, the the way our society views women and the way our society kind of views uh, some of these topics that we talk about in the corporate world, but also in the outside world and, and how this impacts hiring, how this impacts just inclusion altogether. So uh, Allison, thank you so much for joining us. Um, I will turn it over to you to introduce yourself and then we will jump right in.
0: Hello, my name is Allison Rapping and I'm the CEO of an organization called Arrowet. And we are an organization that works with women who have been and are currently involved in the justice system. And we work with them on all aspects of reentering into society. We also run a comprehensive storytellers program where we really work with women who have been incarcerated and their families. And we meet with business leaders, elected officials, policymakers, church leaders, to really help give a real perspective of what this is like from someone who truly has lived experience. Awesome. So currently we have over 300 women in our program each year and our recidivism rate, which is the number of women that go back to prison is under 3%.
1: Oh my gosh. That's amazing. Um, Okay. I have like 4,000 questions and I can just see from Jackie's face that she does as well. (laughs)
2: So well, I, I just want to say something that I love about the website in looking at it, where it was like the past does not determine your future. And I think it's really timely to have you on right now as it's like, you know, we launch into 2023, because that's like the how we like we, we have every day. We have, um, you know, an opportunity, a choice and a chance. Right. So as we as we kick off. I love the friendly reminder that my past doesn't determine my future. And so we're just going to keep going. We go made it. We made it um, another time around the sun. Yes. I am <laughs> happy about that.
1: Absolutely. So Allison, can you start off just by telling us how did you get started on this work and, and kind of what inspired you or, you know, kind of what was the impetus behind it? So I came to Arizona, to start a volunteer service organization, a
0: hands-on network. I was started the hands-on network affiliate here, and I did that for a long time, and I got very invested in the community. As I was doing this, my brother Jonathan Rapping was starting a nonprofit organization that was about reforming indigent defense in America. He was a public defender for many years. He saw injustice. And he really wanted to build something that was going to sort of revolutionize indigent defense. And he invited me to come to the South for a three-year odyssey to help them build this organization, Gideon's Promise. And once I went to the South and I went to Mississippi and I went to Georgia and I went to Tennessee and I went to visit all of these young lawyers and went to prisons in these states, I could not unsee what I saw. I could not unsee that once somebody goes to prison, their life in many ways can effectively never be the same, not because of the prison sentence itself, but because of the enormous number of draconian collateral consequences and penalties that they're forced to deal with for literally the rest of their lives. And then their children and their families. This is an intergenerational crisis and their families are involved in this crisis. And once I understood the magnitude of this crisis, both from a humanitarian perspective and from an economic prosperity perspective, it was clear that I felt it was imperative that I played whatever small role I could in helping solve this really complicated problem that's affecting 2.2 million Americans. We have 2.2 million Americans that are in jails and prisons right now in this country. I mean, that's an exorbitant number. And when you think about this, each one of these people has parents, children, brothers, sisters, they're all involved in this. So we've got millions of people in this country involved in the criminal justice system and it's hurting them and it's hurting their families and it's hurting their communities.
2: I have a question, though, okay. Okay. you all end up in the same family. You, brother, I been, where did this come out of? Did this come out of, I mean, you know, that's just amazing that you both like, people are so afraid to take this step. And so then you have two, you know, siblings that have gone on a lease to help other people to have this passion. How did that happen? It's none of my business. You can also tell me it's none of your business.
0: Uh, we, very quickly, we grew up, my parents were both professors, they were very involved in community, um, but they also were academics. And I think my brother and I said, well, we love that you're academics and we love all your books, but we want to see how this plays on the street. <laughs> you
2: know?
0: So, so really my cool, wanted but- to be a public defender and I said, I'm going to go run a volunteer organization and spend all my time in South Phoenix. And <laughs> it's just because the actions on the street, And the people who really can solve these problems are the people that are living in these problems, not me. So I can help support it. But what makes Arrowette, our organization, so powerful is half of my team has lived experience in Perryville Women's Prison. Mm. And the strongest women in my organization collectively have spent more than 60 years in that prison. So they know how to be incredible advocates and supporters to the women coming out after them.
1: Wow. Okay. Hey, So yeah, I, <laughs> this, this, these are the interviews when Jackie and I like pause before the next question, cause we're processing everything you're saying and it is just absolutely, it's just cool. So I want to start with the, the women that you're working with, what are the things that they need and what is the support that you're able to give them what are, you know, what are the challenges that they face other than, I mean, you've already mentioned a few of them, but um, what are they looking for and what do they need help with? Well,
0: Imagine that you walk out of a prison gate having been incarcerated for 10 years or more. And all you know is the orange that you have been wearing. You haven't had your hair done. You haven't worn civilian clothes. You haven't had a job. You haven't had to write a resume you haven't earned any money, you haven't paid social security, you are walking into a whole new world. So what women need, first and foremost, they need love and a hug and a we're here and we've got you and you're our sister and you're here, we're here with you. But they need everything. Most women coming out of prison in Arizona are coming out with the equivalent of $250 and maybe a paper ID. There are a number of women in the Arizona prison who have the luxury of retention jobs, which are wonderful jobs in the prison that do pay. And some of those women are able to come out with a nice nest egg to start their life. But the majority of the women come out with very little. Here's the other part. Think about this, you go into prison, you have probably atrophied the majority of your skills. Mm -hmm. The majority of the technology and everything that you know has now changed. And so now you're coming out You may have no money. You may have lost all of your family support. You are probably going to be obligated to go to a halfway house. There are some excellent halfway houses. There are also some terrible halfway houses. You don't always know where you're gonna get to go. Then you need to be able to reintegrate with your family. You need to be able to reintegrate with that child who was two when you left and now they're 12. you have to be able to figure out how to get your first job. You have to be able to figure out how to open a bank account, how to drive a car, how to apply for an apartment when constantly that door is slammed in your face because we don't rent to felons. Even if your felony is 30 years old and it was for something like smoking marijuana when you were 18, but you're still not going to be able to get an apartment. So the needs are significant for anyone coming out of prison. What we do is we are there to walk shoulder to shoulder with the women. We start our program inside of the prison. So we start inside of Perryville and we are very, very grateful to the prison and to the the governor's office because they allow us to be a part of the second chance program, which is Governor Ducey's program that is now serving about 200 women a year in Perryville. Arrowhead is part of the Second Chance program, and we run a full series of re entry programming for women. Then we have our immediate need. That's the second part of our four phase model, which is anything you need. Do you need a ride? Do you need to get signed up for access? Do you need food stamps? Do you need a hygiene kit? Do you need food boxes? Do you need clothes? We will work with you to get all of that. Then the second step is what do you want to do? What kind of career do you want? Do you want to get technical skill? Do you want to get a certificate? Do you want to go right into the workforce? How do you want to work on moving from minimum wage to livable wage? So we do a lot of workforce development work with them. We do a lot of work with them to help them be able to overcome the fear they have of telling a potential employer, hey, I have a felony conviction on my record. that's And so we do a lot of work getting them situated. We do financial coaching. We do employment coaching. We run all kinds of wraparound services. And then we also are very invested in helping them access the healthcare system. So realize women have had probably limited amounts of health care in the prison system. But when they get out, they're eligible for access, which is the Medicaid program. We call it access in Arizona. That is a major program. But imagine trying to figure out how to manage this when you've never, ever maybe been to a doctor before. So we work with them to be able to access the complicated system of how do you get a primary doctor? How do you then find out what kind of behavioral health services do you need? What kind of preventative services do you need? What kind of holistic care do you need? Then we, we work with them on helping them find for them what is their spiritual journey? How can we help them find the places that they want to go that are meaningful to them? we are never prescriptive in what we do it is what they want and how can we help you define your success we are not going to determine what success means to them we're going to walk shoulder to shoulder with them to help them meet their life
1: as successes as they want it to be I love that the, the fact that you're you know we talk about diversity I, You a know, part of it is you know meeting people where they are and making sure that you're Giving them what they need not just a program or a hey you know hr spun this up and it's for everybody but really making sure that you're looking at the individual and what their needs are and i think that is just such a critical piece and uh, you know i think when you think about the services and this is something that you know we've talked about especially with folks in marginalized communities that they maybe don't know about different services or don't know that there are things that they can do to have someone help them write a resume or help them as you just mentioned like get you know access or whatever it might be and you know what what a journey that is to even just uncover what's out there that can be helpful and can be you know something that supports whatever their journey is so that's amazing um when like the the folks that are going into your programs um without getting too specific but you're you mentioned that a lot of them have felony convictions um are these folks you know that they go into the system are they in are they younger folks are these older folks like what is the kind of the demographic I guess I would say of of the folks that you're supporting and that are going through these programs great question and if you've seen one woman you've seen
0: one woman one thing about the arrowet program is you're welcome to be a part of it if you are referred to us by somebody or you're part of the second chance center you're welcome to come to arrowet we do not discriminate any woman who wants to come to us who's been involved with the justice system we're pretty you know we have pretty strict criteria about what it means to be an arrowet because we have limited bandwidth but we are willing to work with you here's the other thing about arrowet if you mess up and people mess up, it's just life and you go back or you recidivate or you or you, relapse, that is not a problem. You are always welcome to come back. People's journeys take lots of different approaches. They take lots of different directions. Arrowhead is always here for you if you want Arrowhead. But here is what differentiates, what I'm hoping differentiates Arrowhead and what we're really working on in our organization. One, we have a very diverse team. So we are intentional about our diversity because we want every woman to feel that they can relate to somebody in the organization. So we have a very, for a small team, we have tremendous diversity on that team. We also really are building a community. So we tell people when they walk in the door, if you'd like to utilize Arowet for transactional, reasons? Absolutely, you can, but that's not what we're all about. We're here to build a community. We're here to have you be a part of this community. We have activities for you. We have events for you. We have a mentorship program. We have a volunteer program. We have a storyteller's program. There are so many ways for you to stay invested. But my dream for Arrowhead, we are bringing people in and we're calling them faculty. And so what I'm hoping is that our calendar of events is led by faculty that are our graduates. So that every week we have a different program, but it's led by the women of Arrowhead, talking about real issues that affect them in real time. The events that we do in our community are planned by the women of our organization. The major events, the major organizational components of our organization our director of programs spent 17 years in perryville she oversees every one of our programs if she doesn't think the program is going to work for the women that we're working with we jettison it second woman in our organization who runs our full volunteer and peer mentor program she also spent a considerable amount of time she understands far more deeply than i do what women need who are coming out and then a third woman in our organization really understands the recovery and the trauma. And we are very committed. Something I'm seeing that concerns me slightly is we are really pushing workforce. And I am 100% committed to pushing workforce. But if we are going to ask people who have spent considerable amount of time in incarceration to then go into Walmart or Chase or Coke Industries and have a job, We need to make sure that we're preparing them to really be able to be successful. And that is paraprofessional supports, classes on on different things about just how you would manage being in the office. Our goal is if we're gonna send you to go to work, we're gonna send you there prepared, excited, and ready. And if there's an issue, you can call us.
2: I love backing up a little bit. I love that you call people faculty. and I think so many people struggle, like, oh, are you a client? Are you, a, you know, this or that? I love that you call them faculty, and, and it already kind of makes you want to sit up straight. But I love that you you say that because when people are getting out, like, you need um, a measurement of self care that you have not had, like, dramatically, that you don't really know yourself, right? Like you're in a different mentally and you know I kid we had one week off and I missed my first meeting of my first day back because I and I had I was out of office like I couldn't even relate to work and I was out for a week and I'm an executive member of the team so I can't imagine 10 years to even understanding and like you were saying, the technology is different, especially if you're thinking about retail or like food service or, you know, even working with cars, completely different. And I'm glad that you said that, like, how can we support these these people as they're looking to get back into um, it? I mean, it's almost like a journey of getting back to self. You know.
0: It is absolutely, and it's also a journey in which, I am incredibly grateful for our partnership with the prison. We are very, very fortunate, but prison is a dehumanizing place. And so you walk out, you've been called a number for five years, 10 years, 15 years. You're coming out, people are calling you by your name. Some of the most interesting things are when we take women to Dress for Success, we have an incredible partnership with Dress for Success and the experience of them having a personal shopper and having their makeup done and getting all of their outfits. And then they're taking pictures and sending them to us of of this experience and how much more confidence they have. And then to see these women a year later, they are now the mentors to our new releases and they're helping them navigate the ropes. But what I will say is half my team is women with lived experience, smartest, most dedicated, most committed people I know. I am a walking advertisement for the fact that just because somebody has a criminal conviction does not make them abundantly workforce ready.
2: Hi, my name is Sara and I want to tell you about my podcast called I'll also be sharing Business bites with you, simple explanations of organizational tools, management techniques, and leadership philosophies that will help you and your businesses thrive. You can listen to Can I Offer You Some Feedback on your favorite podcast app or learn more at evergreenpodcasts.com.
0: And I think we have a major opportunity in this country that we must address right now, which is the complete problem that we're going to have if we keep keeping people out of the workforce with all of these arbitrary licenses, arbitrary ways in which you can't make it through the algorithm when you apply online for a job, which is how most jobs are happening, the idea that somebody's gonna turn you away before you can even describe what happens with your crime. We are losing so much talent in this country because we are not allowing incredible talent to go to work. And what is going to happen as a result of this, if we, we in Arizona have a $1.5 billion prison, that's what we spend, that's more than we spend on higher education in the state of Arizona, $1.5 billion. But that's not the true cost of what it costs of people being in prison. It's the cost of your children going into foster care. It's the cost of you having to rebuild your life. Rebuild all of your tools. If you were a tradesman, rebuild a house, rebuild a credit score that's probably been destroyed, rebuild a whole tax base that you haven't been able to pay into. We are costing people a fortune and we're costing our states a fortune because we draconianly put these arbitrary things into place that keep people from being able to do what they really wanna do, which is have really good quality work. And, so, I think the greatest thing we can do over the next five years is help educate policymakers and business leaders about why fair chance hiring is so important, why it is good business, why there's nothing charity about it. In Arizona, right now, we have two jobs for every one person looking for a job. Mm-hmm. Why are we arbitrarily keeping people out of the labor market? Why are we keeping these businesses from having quality workers for reasons that make no sense? So I hope that through our work and through our storytelling, we can help educate people on why fair chance hiring is important, how you can do it successfully, and why some of the things that you might believe are not really true.
1: Allison, can you share a little bit more when you say fair chance hiring? What do you mean by that? So fair chance hiring
0: is you. if you have a criminal conviction, you would still be able to go through the interview, you would still be able to explain, and that the company doesn't have a million arbitrary boundaries as to why you can't be employed there. So right now, it is almost impossible for somebody who's been in prison to work at a bank. So I'm going to shout out one of our sponsors, J.P. Morgan Chase, who is one of the founding organizations. As, as is AT and T, Coke Industries, Walmart, CBS Health. They are a founding member of the um, of the criminal, of the group that is really working nationally of corporate 500, you know, Fortune 500 companies to look at this because what they're starting to see is that this is dramatically affecting the corporate labor market. And we've got to get people back to work. It's not healthy for their families. And But there's two kinds of policies that keep people from working. One are government policies. Those also, those could be draconian. But then we also have just arbitrary policies that businesses will put into play, some of which make perfect sense and maybe need to stay, but some of which really we can revisit them. So we really are trying to work with businesses to showcase where they could maybe look differently at some of these hiring opportunities. It's not charity. This is truly some of the strongest workforce you're gonna find.
2: All right. yeah. You know, I, I we used good hire to running background checks. And we started, we're like looking at checker. We were able to like put parameters, like looking for very specific things not. And then I like that, it also gives people an opportunity to respond. Like we when we're looking at this, like this is the situation. We don't um, have a you know hard, fast rule that doesn't, would not eliminate people. But there's so many times where people are afraid and whatever the situation, how they got there, you know, you're talking about trauma and then reliving that experience over and over and over again to be rejected I, it is, I can't imagine how painful letters.
0: So I can't tell you how many letters I've written on behalf of our participants to the same well-known company in our community. And they, it doesn't matter how many letters I write, they won't hire them. So that's where, like, I, I just think that this is a major, major problem that is only going to become a bigger problem if we don't start to address it. Because if we make it impossible for people to be able to work, that means they can't feed their children. That means their children are going to be suffering. That means their children are going to enter a welfare system or a behavioral health system, or their children are going to have anxiety and trauma that they just don't need to have. Because we create something very draconian on the front end without really thinking through what the
1: long-term consequences of these decisions are going to be on the back. I, I think that's the biggest piece that I always think about is, you know, all of the things that you think about of a job, someone having a job and just that basic kind of human need and what that trickle down is of, you know, you're talking about your your brother's organization. If they're not able to find a job, then do they end up in his organization, you know, being supported by him because they're now on the street, unable to have a job, children on the street, all of these different things. And and also what that does from a you know if we are talking about government and you know government support all of those things like there's just such a trickle down and a cost associated with it so even if you're not thinking about it from the human level there's also the financial level there's that trickle down level of all the different things that happen and i think that's a piece that people also don't think about and you know i i am always fascinated by people like oh well they just want to be on welfare they just want to be this that, and i'm like no that that isn't that isn't true and how many people do you know that it is that embarrassment of i i'm applying for a job and i have to put this information on there and that's really embarrassing because this happened 15 years ago but i know they're going to find it when they do that background check so i have to list it or whatever it might be or having to have that conversation let me explain what happened you know i was involved in whatever and and it is you know i can remember just you know in the evolution of being in talent acquisition and recruiting that when i first started there was a matrix that you followed and if it and it truly was if then you know oh they had a felony conviction thank you so much thank you for your time bye-bye if they had a misdemeanor okay well what was it for and all of these different pieces so it wasn't even a hey you have a felony let's talk about what that was it just was you're done and i think there are so many i'm happy to to hear and to see that so many organizations are evolving from that place. But I think there's just so much more that needs to be done education wise for organizations.
0: Here's another interesting thing. There's not one woman in my program that says they didn't commit the crime. I mean, look, people are honest about what happened to them. They made a mistake. People, the women in our organization, they own the mistake they are willing to pay for the mistake they take responsibility for the mistake but the problem is is that in some of our states our consequences are so great that even if you are so completely sorry you served your time you still cannot get your rights back you still cannot get a job you still may not be able to get your child back so there's a lot of reasons why we need to make some changes so that we can build a healthy society for families and do what is best for our country which is allowing families to be together in and make meaningful living wages so that they can raise their children and that's what we're trying to do is give people those opportunities to have the families and the life that they deserve to have
2: i yeah, i'm glad that you said that um, i've been working on talking about why like why diversity programs fail and one of the things that we were looking at was because these things are systemic and you're trying to change a person instead of changing the system. So we were talking about people with disabilities and they were like, well, what required by law, you know, talking about different statements. I was like, oh, nothing. They're like, and then they got so upset and they went off and I was like, "Go vote. Like, this is nothing, you can tell me all day. You asked me about compliance and I let you know the answer. Um, and people are are shocked, but you shouldn't be shocked. And I think if, if you broke it down by state or, you know, different districts, people would pretend to be shocked. But the information has been there all along. And so it's like I'm done with willful ignorance. Like, what do you how do you think this was going to go down? And I love that. It's like, oh, tell me about your felony. What, what you going to do about it after you hear about it. What do you have to say? Because you're so completely biased. You can't imagine being in the situation. What exactly are you listening for? You know, like
0: I mean I what we tell like, what we tell the women, we couldn't have a sense, what it's really about being able to there's a very you know own what happened be able to talk about it and talk about how your life has changed we don't tell people spend a lot of time talking about this it's over as long as you are remorseful and that you've seen what you can do you shouldn't have to keep reliving it over and over again and your story shouldn't be somebody else's entertainment
2: you know and and they shouldn't have to relive their trauma for your aha moment
1: yes i think that's one of the pieces that i have seen time and time again is the salacious details that and you know i am in hr and have heard way too many folks come to be like oh did you know this this and this and you're like whoa are they doing a good job at work and like that's the the focus but it it also is interesting to me you know thinking about how we approach this stuff and you know what jackie just said the reliving of the trauma um and i think that's something that You're thinking about the mental health and the support for women and you know especially you know a lot of them I know are in situations that they were forced to or were you know put into a position that this was their only option or you know whatever it might be and yes taking accountability of course for their actions but I do wonder that other the other side of this of when they're having to relive that trauma what does that do, and how does that impact them on their recovery, on their journey to kind of changing the way that they are trying to rebuild their lives? Like,
0: I think it's back to what I said earlier if you've met one person, you've met one person. So everybody's story is going to be slightly different. But one thing that I think we have seen some consistency in is the majority of women who go to prison go to prison because of trauma abuse, substance use disorders, and mental health. Usually what brings a woman to prison is a traumatic series of events in their life. And then once they are able to dissipate the trauma and get out of that environment, they are able to rebuild their lives. But I think this is another really important thing is that people who go to prison are often traumatized people who have had terrible things happen to them or have experienced something terrible and so sometimes i feel with prison we are not always as empathetic at understanding so we take somebody who's traumatized and we put them into an environment that's also traumatizing and yes we understand that it has to be prison but when they come out we really need to be able to work with them to move on from that experience and to not constantly have to relive that experience. And that's why I think for a lot of women who enter the justice system, they've had a limited access to health and behavioral health services. And that's why we really are pushing very hard to build relationships with our healthcare organizations so that we can really help them get the support and care that they need to be able to to move forward
2: well and then it's so hard to get access like it's hard to get access to healthcare, and then you get access to the medicine but then you have to have access to transportation and you have to have access to you know get the follow-ups like it's this never ending thing i mean and and i mean i think that's the big joke like within our industry where people say oh well it's the right thing to do listen i've been on the same medicine for almost 20 years, CBS hates me they have to even, They text me every month with the same medicine for 30 years like, Are you gonna pick it up? Do you need a refill? You got to go to the doctor and I'm always like shocked for some reason. Oh, yeah, I forgot. And so to, to, to have somebody and that's having the privilege to be able to drive, you know, around the corner and doing that, right? And then it's like, what part do we own? And, and I and I feel like there's a lot of people that like to call themselves allies and uh, like, oh, I can offer support. But offering that support and being a true ally is helping to get, navigate, but then also fixing the system that's broken. That's where those that comes into play.
0: And that's why we have the storytellers program because what we're trying to do is we're really trying to be very holistic in our approach we run a program and we are dedicated to data and metrics we study the heck out of the data so we know what programming and what interventions we're doing that really work now what we're trying to do is take this data that we've collected over four years and bring it to people who have the ability to make change and say if you know, if we can look at some of these things a little differently, maybe we can have better results for people. And we feel that our own women, with their ability to articulate, to be storytellers, to share their own experience, is one of the best ways that we can go to help people start to see what changes need to be made. And I I also think, we're seeing with this whole opioid crisis that we're experiencing, we're seeing something very different with women in prison. And this is what we're seeing. We're seeing a lot more middle-class women going to prison for drugs. We're also seeing a lot of rural women going to prison for drugs. So what we're seeing is the prison is now a place that is dealing with communities that are really dealing with a whole lot of other issues that are dealing with this crisis of the drug war that we're having. And so there's a lot of factors at play here. Um, And that's why I feel so strongly when people come out, the most important thing we have to do is work with them to ensure that they feel stable, that they feel secure, and they feel they've got other options. Because once people feel that they have options, their chance of success is so much greater. But it is so hard when you keep applying for jobs and that door slams in your face because you had a felony from 20 years ago
1: yeah i I think that you're what you're talking about just giving people hope and and giving them that you know there is another way there is another direction there are things there are people that are there for you and you know to to jackie's point like real allies who are going to walk with you arm in arm on how to actually get to a better place and on a better path and all of these things i i want to switch gears slightly um and and I want to ask a a a question so I I'm sure that you are probably aware and this is something I saw like on TikTok or Instagram or whatever it might be and as we've seen a few of these cases in you know in recent years where you have women that were sexually exploited sexually abused that end up doing something you know what uh, you know murdering or were you know whatever it might be to their abusers and and to the folks that have put them into these situations and i i want to just talk about that and kind of open that up a little bit because i think that's another piece to this you know criminal justice reform and the way people think about women that are incarcerated or have been incarcerated that it's just their this imbalance of power um would love for you to talk about that a little bit if you don't mind i
0: think one thing that people don't fully understand in this in the in in why people go to prison for sex, sexual reasons. Women can potentially be sex trafficked starting at age 16, 17. At the time they're 19 or 20, they're no longer valuable to that person as in the same role. So they use the person in a different role. Then that person, that young woman, ends up getting, doing something and getting arrested. She's not gonna turn on the person who put her in that situation. She's going to take the rap for all of this. So you have a woman who literally had been abused for many, many years and then does something really because she's with an abuser and then she ends up going to prison. The hard part that I have with this and why I feel like this particular issue is one we really do need to address is that we are continuously re-victimizing women who have just been victims. And I'm hopeful, I'm not saying that people shouldn't pay for the crimes, but I am hopeful that we can stop taking a permanent on sex trafficking for these women. That they, for women who have a sex conviction, They can never get rid of it they can't get jobs we have women who got hired at jobs and then four months later they lose the job because they realize that's what the conviction was but imagine if you were that woman and that was your life and then you're told you were victimized and now you can't even work at a call center because your crime is a sex crime i think there's a lack of understanding about what these crimes are. And I think sometimes we talk about crime in a, in a certain amount of words that really you're not at all what the actual situation is. Welcome change agents to your go-to place for stories that ignite your spirit, fuel your purpose and connect us all. We believe in the incredible power of the human spirit, its boundless resilience and the inspiration it brings to our lives. You can find the Driving Change podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeart Radio, or wherever you love listening to your favorite podcasts.
1: Yeah, I, I yes, um, and I, I think you just said the word words, and I think that's one of the pieces that is such a critical piece to this. Of you know, in. I don't know if you said this after we started recording or or beforehand but they're not felons they committed a felony and humanizing people versus putting them into a bucket you know putting them into a dehumanizing space um especially you know someone that has been traumatized you know in a, a sexual way there is such a dehumanizing and you know almost a removal from self that is that self protection mode that they go into And then on top of that, to have that happen and, you know, to the example you just gave of, can you imagine starting a job thinking, okay, finally, I'm on a a better path. And then having the the rug pulled out from under you four months later. And I, I think that's the piece too, that these, we don't need to know the story. We don't need to know all of the background, but I think being able to say, yes, you did the time. Now, let's move forward. Like there's no one that can say, I, "I haven't made a mistake, or I've never done anything wrong." And so, if that time has been served, if that you know, if the person has taken accountability and done what they need to do, give them that opportunity to prove themselves. and And how can we do that in a different way, and especially as employers? And you know, a lot of our listeners obviously are in HR and can make change, you know, the systematic changes at the top of. How do we do this differently in our organization? Um, so i I think that's a piece too that just it keeps we keep coming back to that. Well, and as you say
0: that this is going to be for a lot of HR executives, one of the things that we're really passionate about is workforce. That is because for what we're seeing at Arrowet is if you can get a meaningful, livable wage job, that's your, going to be your ticket. And so we are very committed to workforce and we hosted an event at the Biltmore Hotel last year, partly because I just got frustrated with the doors getting slammed in the face of so many. I I just couldn't take it anymore. I mean, we keep slamming the doors in the faces of these amazing women. And so we decided to make a major investment and in host this event at the Biltmore Hotel and brought in national leaders, including the head of the Checker Foundation. Um, and we really tried to make a case to Arizona businesses for fair chance hiring. And in the first quarter of this year, we're writing a fair chance hiring manual with the support of a corporate HR executive to really make sure that we can work with these businesses to help them learn how to do this onboarding successfully and one of the things that we're going to have there are lots of handbooks so we're not inventing something that it doesn't exist but the one thing we are doing that is probably somewhat unique is we're doing a six-week onboarding checklist so that businesses can take day one this is what you can do day two day three so because i think they may know that they can get a watsi credit or they might know that there's some tax Is relief to something, but they may not know how do they open the door on day one? How do they help inform other people in the organization? Or let's say you're going to hire 10 women with lived experience, but those 10 women are still on parole or they're still on paper and they have to go to you. You do need to let other employees know. And I think we really want to make this handbook so that we can help HR people and managers see and have a path to support the fair chance hiring they want to do in their organizations
1: well, I'll, I'll speak for myself and for our listeners uh you know we we want that we want access to that handbook because i think that's something that there is this how do we do this how do we do this the right way how do we you know we so many folks and, and again this goes to all of the diversity that we talk about on this uh podcast it's how do we do this the right way from day one to make sure people feel included, feel like they're a part of the organization, feel like they can do great work and be proud of what they're doing and make an impact and all of these things. And it is just, you know, how do we change the systems? How do we change the the ways that we approach this work? So um, I love that you're doing that and that, you know, that's a piece of work that I think every HR person would value and and want to um take a look at and see how they can implement it in their organizations. Um, I
2: want to say something quickly, if you are listening, and you do want to make that change, do not let perfect get in the way of you reaching out. Don't wait on Allison. even though Allison, you're a very fine person, and I'm sure it's going to be lickety split (laughs) before this thing is done in, in everyone's hands. But so often, People are like, oh, I don't know what to do. There are a lot of organizations that will hold hands, and then you can, you know, have regular meetings and have various various coaches. and And even if we learn these various pieces, take your time, understand that you're going to make these mistakes. Um, and I always say, you know, make these mistakes quick and often, and then learn, and then grow, and then share what you're learning with other people.
0: And there's two great handbooks that I can actually share right now that. Are not about Arrowet, but Sherm has a handbook putting talent back to work it's a great handbook it focuses more on the tax. It, it, it's less of an onboarding book but it's an excellent book and then CEO equity which is the group um of fortune 500 companies that all have executives working on some of this work they have an amazing woman working on um on this and they have an excellent onboarding handbook So we're trying to make ours more unique to Arizona specifically, but I feel like we need far more of these handbooks and they need to be in people's, in people's hands.
1: Awesome. And, and we'll, we will make sure to add those to the show notes so folks can, uh, link to those and, and learn a little bit more. So that's great. So, uh, last question, um, what what do you want to make sure people heard during this conversation what do you want people to do what are the things that um leaders hr folks whoever it might be um can start doing
0: i think the first thing is is we have to move to people first language we have to change the nomenclature if you watch and many of us have watched law and order my mother wrote a book law and order is seen on tv and it's all about the prosecutor, and the police, we use language often that continuously victimizes people. We say you're a felon. We say you're a convict. You're not a felon. You are somebody who convicted, who, who had a felony in probably the worst day and worst year of their life. The majority of people who have a felony are not felons. They did something wrong. Many of us have done something wrong. Many of us have done something wrong. We just didn't get caught. So it is so important that we think about changing the language, but the second thing that I think is critical is that we have a lot of arbitrary barriers against people who have had involvement with the justice system. There are so many arbitrary barriers, particularly in HR, and if you can look at your company and think about ways that you can look differently at how you ask these questions or what your policy can be or where you might be able to take a chance where you maybe couldn't before. I just encourage people to look differently because otherwise we're going to have one out of four Americans with a criminal conviction in this country who will not be able to get a job. So then we will have one out of four adults that potentially will all be on a welfare system. All of their kids will be on the welfare system this is a massive crisis so we can solve that crisis one at a time right now by each of us just thinking about something we might be able to look at in our own policy that we might be able to change so we can give somebody a chance awesome jackie
2: i think for me it's looking to insight within your policies um and figure out own what part you play in in preventing people from getting to work and start making changes to those policies because too often again we'll blame someone else or blaming the victim again and let's look at what part you play in to being a barrier for people entering the work force <laughs> that was a whole word sorry
1: yeah no i love both of those and i'll all mine is you know, we we have, as both of you mentioned, kind of those barriers in place. But I would also take it a step further and say, you know, how do we make sure not just the systems and processes, but how do we make sure that we do the voting, do the things kind of at that higher level, but also educate folks on language, you know, not just the HR teams, but everyone in the organization. And, you know, you mentioned, Hey, there might be some people that need to know if they have to go for a visit to a, a parole officer or whatever it might be. But I, I am always very hesitant to let folks know that type of information because I know that it then does cause bias. But if we educate folks about those pieces to the puzzle, that will change the conversation as well. That you know, we won't be re re-victi- revictimizing them. We'll be treating them like humans and treating them as they should be. That hey you made a mistake and the one thing i'll add to that is you know when i was in recruiting one of the things that i always was so happy about on friday afternoon and would talk about with my peers is how many people's lives did you change this week by giving them a job and and i think that's something that if we can go back to that of the path that you'll put people on by giving them that living wage job is huge and the trickle down of that generationally societally all of these different things is just very impactful so Allison can you just hang out and talk to us for like six more hours is that cool (laughs) I know
2: can you this is a a ball the next time I'm in Arizona yes so many questions so many more things or the next time you're in Waco (laughs) you can invite me to Waco
0: I'd love to come to Waco there you, know, you go right
2: yeah, there so with you like Eta, spain yeah. waco i'm pretty sure it's on everyone's bucket <laughs> <Yes>. um <laughs>
1: yeah. yeah well thank you for joining us we truly appreciate uh you taking the time and um i'm excited to you know see what else you all do and just the in- impact that you continue to make so thank you so much uh this is katie van horn and this is jackie Clayton. bye, bye.